What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to Modern Day Marketer. I am your host, Brett McGrath. I lead marketing and do marketing things at The Juice, the largest library of marketing and sales resources curated for you. Sign up today. Be a member. Do those things. You know I got to throw a call to action up front. I've been away for a little bit. We had the holiday, so we didn't drop an episode. I'm back in the saddle. We're rolling. And there is so many of these fun conversations that I had with incredible marketers um, before I left for paternity leave that I am pumped to share with you. One of these I have not stopped thinking about, and that is this episode that you are tuned in today. We are talking about how personalization has ruined marketing. Yes, how personalization has ruined marketing. And I got my man, Nick Zekitz, who is the CEO and co-founder at Air Traffic Control. Met him a month or so back and his thoughts around casting blame on software stacks and how we overcome the damage that we've done is awesome. I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. We have some fun stuff coming out before we hit the holiday season. We're doing a report on gated versus ungated content. I am currently working on that as I drop this episode, we are going to get that out in a few weeks. If you like the podcast listener report, this is going to look a lot like it. We're going to look at data on the platform and analyze gated versus ungated content. If you like what I'm doing over here, follow, subscribe, hit all the buttons, but most importantly, tell a marketing friend you're enjoying the show. Without further ado, let's kick into the conversation. All right. So... I'm very excited for the topic, and this headline for the topic might be a little punch in the gut, but we're going to unpack it, and we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about how personalization has ruined marketing. Nick Zekitz, CEO and co-founder of Air Traffic Control, is going to help me uh, uncover this, and I'm just really excited to dig in. But without further ado, Nick, welcome. How are you? I'm good, man. I'm happy to be here. Thank you so much. I want to start here and I'm going to, I've never done this before, but I'm going to read this because like we chatted about this episode. We met, we chatted about this episode. And when I got done talking with you, like so much of what you said that I'm sure we'll share in this conversation, I like went straight to uh, my newsletter and started writing down some of the things. So I'm going to read a passage. I think that might set the stage. And this passage was inspired by talking with you. But this is what I put in the Modern Day Marketer newsletter, and I'm a marketer, so you can go in the show notes and you can go subscribe there. But I said, I was having one of these conversations this week uh, when the individual on the other side of Zoom said something profound that I'll never forget. Quote, personalization has ruined marketing. His bombastic statement had my attention. He blamed software stacks. He argued the personalization pitch had warped the minds of marketers to think that they could truly build connections with other people by simply clicking a button. He talked about the fallacy that we've fallen into by making people believe that they can actually build relationships at scale. His statements were jam-packed full of conviction. His message resonated with me in a way that made me skip my lunch to write about it here. So that, that came, uh, and I know there's a lot we're going to get into, but like, what is what is your have you received that sort of response from someone? Because I'm sure you talk about this personalization as room marketing pitch. Has, when you say it to people, does does it resonate in a way that it resonated with me with others? <laughs> I mean, I hope so. Yeah, I mean, I th- 
I mean, it's one of those statements that that it's it's a it's a it's a great hook, uh, and it and it does certainly deserve some curiosity if you've been a marketer for more than a few minutes. And I think when you get into it, it's really about marketers and revenue leaders feeling seen, right? And 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 that to me is, I think, the moment when we kind of explain or I get a chance to chat about what. I mean, when I say that personalization is ruined marketing, right? It's it's coming from a place of deep empathy with the people who are in the roles that we seek to serve in the jobs that I've had myself over my career, right? And looking at that problem and thinking, God, this this sucks. This really sucks. And I think we've been chasing the dragon, right? A ton as marketers and revenue leaders for a long, long time. And we fail to realize that we're all hooked on heroin, right? And it's like, no, 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 you are, you're a drug addict. You have a real problem. And, and you think your problem is you can't catch the dragon. That's not the problem, right? You, you have decided that your path forward requires you to be a drug addict. It is not right. Mm -hmm. Your path forward is to live a clean and sober and real empathetic life as a marketer, right? And that is actually totally available, right? It's it's doable, but we just have to kind of rethink what we maybe have gotten hooked on over time. 100%. And before we dig into kind of your thesis and uh, talk about this a little more, I'd love for you to share uh, a little bit about air traffic control. Like what was the catalyst for you starting this business and what problem do you solve? Yeah, it's a great question. So <laughs> we solve for personalization. <laughs> Shocking, right? <laughs> you know, I mean, the, the, the catalyst is really kind of under under the covers of how hard it is to pull off campaigns quarter after quarter. And you start to think about, well, what segments are we going after? And what are we going to say to those people? And oh my God, did somebody make sure that all the blog posts got written this week? And then were they the right ones? And did we put them down on paper? And wait a minute, who's supposed to see which ones? And I guess we're writing for organic. Has anybody talked to the people in the funnel this week? Right. And, and these problems are like voluminous. They're voluminous. And, and a lot of the issues are because we're sitting on these incredible marketing assets, tools like HubSpot and Salesforce Marketing Cloud and Adobe Marketo. I mean, these tools do a million incredible things. And then we're writing content, we're writing tons of it. We're creating webinars and podcasts like this and writing blog posts and case studies and all that. And and the thing is, is that when you really kind of like talk to a marketing team and you ask them about how they execute on campaigns, it is almost bespoke every single freaking time, right? This quarter, we're going after CFOs in the automotive industry. All right, what do we write for CFOs in the automotive industry? And then what's the LinkedIn post we're going to do for CFOs in the automotive industry? And then what's the landing page that we're going to do for the 50 automotive CFOs that we want to come and show up on our website? And the reality is you probably actually have all the bases covered already, right? And when you really kind of like peel the onion layers back, we're spending a ton of time kind of like reinventing the wheel a dozen times every quarter as a marketing organization only to find out when we do a, you know, a post-mortem a few months later, if we even have the luxury of doing that type of a thing on our campaigns, guys, we literally just wrote the same content that we wrote six months ago or nine months ago or 12 months ago. This is bananas. 
right? But it happens over and over and over again. And so we just looked at that. And we said, well, if we could actually figure out what all that content was and what people cared about and connect the dots, we could actually deliver the best of what an organization already has and let an org get back to doing the stuff that humans are good at, which is writing the next great thought piece or the next really profound piece of of insightful guidance on how to use their product in order to solve a particular problem that's evolving in their customer base, right? But not building a hundred wheels every single quarter when you already have a stockpile of every wheel you'll ever need to go fast. So I want to maybe get back to your thesis on how personalization ruined marketing. And I think when we come to these uh, profound thoughts, usually they are percolating from a lot of different layers and they compound over time. And then uh, sometimes we don't even, we, we think it, but we don't like speak it into existence. And I would imagine as a part of the product that you're building at air traffic control, it's like, all right, I am the CEO and I need to have a strong message to go to market with. And this one was one you started the workshop, not just because you needed a something catchy to catch people's attention, but it's something that you have conviction around. So maybe like talk a little bit about the process that you went through to come up with this thesis. Was it uh, things over time that compounded? Was it one specific instance? Like share some perspective there. Yeah, no, it's absolutely stuff that's compounded over time. I had a startup uh, from 2011 to 2018 that was like a, a marketing automation platform in the higher ed space. It was called Quadrangle. And there was this big problem facing higher ed, still is, where they were trying to ask their alumni to donate money. And the alumni were like, what do you know about me? You don't care about me. And they were just getting blasted with emails that were just asking for money. And once a month, four times at the end of the year, right, they'd get some garbage email that would ask them to, to write a check. And we realized that these schools, and we got to work with some incredible places in Georgia Tech and places like that, had tons of amazing content, tons of opportunities to give back and, and get involved in volunteer time and, and, uh, and, and capital. And they just weren't able to connect the dots. And so we thought about that pain and then built this massive platform that that really thought about that. And the reality was, you know, and and, and we were fortunate to to find a home for that, that technology platform and acquire back in 18, you know, but when you really think about that personalization problem, it wasn't unique to that, that space or that market or that audience and those, those sellers, right? Those universities that were selling their alumni on, on investing yet more capital in a place that they're no longer getting a degree from, you know, when you think about B2B marketing or consumer marketing, it really doesn't matter. There's this really interesting problem around personalization and the thesis that marketers and, and revenue leaders have is exceedingly well-informed. We know that when a BDR sits down and does deep research on an account, and reaches out and connects the dots in a really meaningful way, both with Brett, my buyer, and the organization, the Jews that he's working at, right? Like we're able to create a story and create connection there that causes Brett to write us back mm. and say, that's actually interesting. You've connected your value proposition to what it is that I care about. And that's really interesting to me and I'm willing to listen. And, and I think that the way 
that concept has made its way up the funnel from an execution standpoint, it's gotten so many kind of uh, variations away from the original source of, of excellence that we've gotten to a place where personalization looks more like really one of two things at scale, right? You've got one, which is attributes or like specific things that I know about my buyer, which tend to be pretty lightweight, right? Everybody's gotten these emails. Hey, Brett, I can see that you're a podcast host at, you know, Modern Day Marketer. I wanted to see whether or not you wanted our AI development services. I'm sorry, what? Like A, that is in no way related to what it is that I do here. B, I woke up this morning knowing what my name was and where I worked. You telling me that is in no way helpful to the rest of my day. This is exceedingly selfish and actually is worse than an email that's just really well-written. Brett, we do something really awesome. It is this that solves this problem. That is a lot better email than you telling me that you know what the weather is nearby when you don't sell umbrellas, right? So, you know, this is the type of thing that we've we've seen over and over and over again, and our inboxes are jam-packed with them. And the other version of personalization is less lazy and, in fact, is, is probably sitting at, you know, right in the pit of a ton of marketers' stomachs, the people who live in those roles called marketing operations or demand generation, where they're trying to stitch together these really complex campaigns. And it's a whole bunch of these wild if, then this, then that statements, right? You know, like if they're this segment, then down here. And then if they do that, then over here, and then this, and then that over there. And then I'm tagging my content and this content is tagged automotive. And you're in my automotive segment. So boom, I'm going to connect those two dots. There are two things that are so problematic about that. One, you know, that plumbing is wildly complex to build and to maintain. And over time, it's very rarely the type of thing that can be reused. And even if you do try to reuse it, it's probably going to break because all those dependencies aren't going to stay solid for the rest of time. It just is what it is. But the bigger thing is, is that we're asking humans to make decisions about how they're going to connect their business to a group of humans, not to Brett, but to a lot of people that Brett falls into a bucket with. And if I'm putting you into a bucket, inherently what I'm doing is stripping away the most unique things that are knowable about you. And that's where the real problem lies in terms of personalization. We have all these customers who have hundreds of blog posts and case studies and all these like content assets. But everybody who's an auto is getting their one auto case study. But the thing that's really fascinating is that when you break it down and you look at what's in there, there could be a dozen different concepts that were covered, right, in a any given blog post. And even though this one right here doesn't cover auto at all, seven of the other concepts are really aligned with this CFO who works at Toyota or whatever, right? And it's there. That's the connective tissue that causes people to engage, right? Dude, I woke up this morning going to Toyota for work, right? Like, I know I'm there. I know what the automotive guys are doing. Like, yeah, we're all kind of the same. I want to get disrupted and learn something incredible by a finance leader 
at the United States Air Force or at the Department of Education or at, you know, oh God, I don't know, Apple or Tesla, just somewhere else where they're dealing with the nuances of their job in the same way that I'm struggling. And if it so happens to be that your solution is the one that allowed them to navigate those nuances, all the better. Now I'm starting to connect the dots as to what it is that you do and how I might navigate my way out of it because you were talking to me as a human. But when we ask other marketers, right, to make those decisions about who fits in this segment and how much of your humanity am I willing to strip away in order to be able to actually execute what the world has kind of dictated to me is personalization, weather alert, as personalization, what we get back to is honestly really complex segment-based marketing is better than spaghetti against the wall. Data tells us it is. It's a little better. It's maybe five to 8% better, but for probably three to five X the effort. And it turns out that when you remove that incredible minutia of connecting those dots and deciding that people fit into groups and tagging content, you can actually do way, way better and spend way less time doing it. So to to maybe like put an exclamation point uh, alongside your point, and I'm going to say something that is not profound, but it'll give an example based on what you talked about, it, because we all get these emails, like we all get trash emails all day long. And we, 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 we just look at them and we don't, we just see them in our inbox and we see like the couple words in the subject line, we just hit delete, right? Because these are trash emails. I got an email recently, and this is what happens when you 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 actually give a shit about the the people that you're trying to reach. I got an email that I opened a couple of weeks ago, and I read the email, and I'm a marketer that has a podcast. I write articles. I have a newsletter. Everything you could want to know about me and the juice is out there. You just got to go look and play it back to me. If you do that, I'm going to respond. Well, somebody did this, and I'm going to shout out the brand. The brand was iterable. There was an SDR, BDR from Iterable who just took some time to like know what I'm about and played it back to me and connected the dots. And that stood out to me because it was like there months have gone by where I haven't gotten one email that I actually that resonated with me in a way. And so I just wanted to call that example out because no one's doing it. Like like you send one email and you you spend a little more time being personalized. Chances are the individual's going to respond. You might not get the meeting, but you'll, you'll probably get a response. And that's, isn't that what we're trying to do? You know, that's right. Yeah, that's right. And I, you know, and then you can start to get into all the, are they in the buying cycle and intent and all those types of things, but, but whether they're in the buying cycle or not, I had an email like this and I actually threw it up on LinkedIn the other day, this guy reached out to pitch me on something. And at, I mean, this guy, he crushed it like absolutely crushed it. The The framework for the email was phenomenal. The connective tissue between what they do and what he knew about me, what he knew about our business. I mean, just absolutely crushed it. And I'm not in the market, like not at all. I couldn't be convinced to be in the market, I'm not in the market, but I told him I might be and when that might be true. And he's the only person that I would expect to hear from or care to hear from in that service space, right? And, you know, I think that's the thing that people miss 
great emails have great implications, whether somebody is in the buying cycle or not. Mm. And it's also true for great landing page experiences. And it's true for great targeting with advertising. And it's, it's true across the entire journey, right? But like this idea that we're going to reserve real honest to God empathy with the person who's at the other end of that inbox or on the other end of that web visit, that we're going to reserve that until they've done the work of proving to us that they've earned it and that we then are going to assign a human to care and and feed them. God, give me a break, right? we We say out loud, that the way that people buy, at least in B2B, has become exclusively about the buyer now. It is all about the buyer and all about enabling them and all about empowering them. And yet our marketing execution dictates that we Mm. actually don't care about any of the words that we're saying out loud because we still send this hot garbage into people's inboxes and have these vague experiences and kind of spaghetti against the wall BS targeting that results in people feeling like those organizations don't care about them. And I think that there's a couple of ways that you can respond. You can either vastly tighten up your ideal customer profile and frankly, get rid of your marketing organization. I'm not getting behind that idea at all. I think brand matters, voice matters. What marketing is able to do is different than what salespeople are able to do in a very collaborative way. But just focus on hand communicating with a much smaller audience. Or you can completely rethink how it is that you do everything from the top of your funnel all the way through to the middle. So you you said something when we last spoke and I quoted it because I wanted to revisit it. But the quote was, when we're talking about personalization, it's missing the fundamental point of empathy to radiate the idea. Talk a little bit about what you mean with that. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, the, the value of empathy in a vendor to buyer relationship, I mean, it ought, it ought to color everything, literally everything. And it demands that we as sellers and marketers take that to heart when we're sitting down and thinking about how we do things and how we reach out and how we think about where our buyers are and what they're experiencing and the challenges as they're facing. And, and that, you know, early on in the funnel is about super value add information and really trying to make somebody's life better, which is one of the reasons that I think when organizations invest in real content, not generative AI, vague nonsense that sits at the top of the funnel and looks now exactly like a thousand other web pages content, but really sit down and build a resource that helps somebody navigate a problem. It could be a blog, it could be a calculator, it could be whatever. I don't really care what the you know actual format is, but that's caring. That's empathetic. And people don't mind getting that stuff in their inbox. I I get, I don't know, probably 25 newsletters a week now that I'm actually like going through. I cherry pick. I've opted in, but I've opted in because I know that maybe not every edition of every newsletter, but like every few of every few. I'm going to go, oh man, that, that's really helpful. Those guys are helping me source 
in a way that I couldn't do on my own. And those are really good assets. So I'm willing to subscribe there. You know, I think as you go further into the funnel, when you think about product marketing, the empathy really has to be about the human, right? You can't be putting people into segments. It just frankly doesn't fly anymore. Mm -hmm. And if we can't afford BDRs to touch every single person who's in some way evidence that they might be ready to talk, then we have to think really critically about what our marketing motion looks like. And that's everything from the data assets that we're leveraging to inform what it is that we know about people and how we communicate to them all the way through to, do we have any degree of relevance with this audience, right? And if we aren't relevant, what are we going to do about it? Right. And answering that question before we go out there and stuff a bunch of people into people's inboxes. After that point, you know, BDRs and sales reps, the best of them have known forever that you treat these people well and good things will happen. I used to sit next to a sales guy. Uh, shout out to Salil Pande. Uh, and this guy, Salil, was the absolute man. He would go home to India and he would come back with like boxes of presents that he would send to his prospects. And he had picked them on purpose for all these people. And he would get on these calls and say, oh, you know, Jenny, did you get the thing that I sent you? I was thinking about you. And you told me that your daughter was really into this thing. And Salil's close rate was astronomical. One of the greatest salespeople you'll ever meet in your entire life. The guy was absolute magic. But he wasn't magic because he was following the sales enablement mechanics that he was handed by sales leadership mm. to a team. He was magic because the guy deeply cared about the humans that he was looking to support. And unlike most of our sellers at that time, he kept following up with them once they become customers. And that organization was very much built at that time around the idea that sellers sell service teams, services, then, then we shouldn't even know each other right? We largely operated that way. Salil never did. And the great customer teams have been doing this for a long time too. But I think the thing is, is that the tools that we have, have lured us into this, this different way of operating as marketers, even though we might be the most empathetic questioning humans within the revenue team, our tools and our volume expectations have dictated that we treat people like segments instead of humans. And, and that's, I think, the pain point that we have to address now and what we're endeavoring to do here. But I think a lot of people are figuring out how that ends up getting fixed. So we're, we're both individuals who are working on products for the, you know, marketing community. So we have, we're, we're like, we recognize what software stacks have done, but we're also trying to innovate based on building new product. So I just want to like sh make sure that's super clear. But also if you look at just the way things work these days, you know, it's the sales automation cadences, marketing automation. Every, everyone starts with the technology first instead of focusing in on like the strategy process and just like communication <laughs> strategy. Like that's just the way it, it, and maybe it dates me, whatever, but like, I don't know. I've always thought about just like, let's talk with people first. Let's <laughs> understand the problems. Let's build the relationships and let's figure out how we get things to work, experiment, scale. And then we can layer in technology once we 
figure that out. But now we're in this space where if you look at like Scott Brinker's MarTech map, like every year the dots get smaller and smaller because there's more and more and more, right? It's just, it's bonkers. So like, you know, this, we are to blame, I guess, in a way, because we work for these companies that are trying to, you know, help out marketers. But I don't know. We're just in this space where everyone's just creating shitty content and everyone's bad and people just buying the software and then people aren't retaining the software. So like, I think there is something to blame on these software stacks, but like, how do we, as you know, marketers and salespeople, how do we overcome kind of some of the damage that's already been done? Man, what a phenomenal question. I think there's a couple of things that are really important. So I make the argument often that a lot of times when people buy new MarTech, it's because they haven't, they don't have anybody in-house that knows their marketing system of record very well. It happens over and over and over again. I'm not going to name names here in terms of vendors, but there are companies that are making a lot of money selling tools to HubSpot customers. And I know for a fact that one basic workflow within HubSpot could mimic the entire value proposition of something that that a company is spending $1,000, $2,000 a month for. I think that's nuts. And so on some level, and look, you can't blame that vendor. They're selling into a revenue opportunity and they're able to capture it to some degree. Now you start to wonder at what point that starts to get capped, right? There's not that many companies with that much money to spend on that thing, right? Mm -hmm. So you wonder what the evolution is going to be. And so I think when you look at that MarTech map, I think you're going to find a lot of companies are able to get to 10, $25 million of revenue. And that's going to be all that ever happens for them because there's too many people who either otherwise don't have enough money to buy something that expensive or have the people internally to raise their hand and go, if I understand this correctly, just would you give me like 45 minutes in HubSpot and like, I'll come back and and then just let me know if that's what you were talking about. (laughs) Right. And so I think that's there, which to me, I think, I think part of this is just beseeching marketing organizations writ large, you know, it isn't to say that marketing operations and revenue operations are new functions. They're not new, but I think the incidence of having senior leadership in those roles at organizations that are south of a billion dollars in revenue is not nearly high enough. I, I think it's a role that gets hired too late for most organizations. And so generally, I'm just a huge fan. And I think there should be more of those people because I think if they have a seat at the table strategically, they can start to navigate a lot of these issues. And and I think that market map ends up getting a lot smaller. The other thing that I also think is very true, and I've been thinking about this a ton lately on our own behalf, is where do you fit in, right? So when you think about how a marketer lives their lives, right? The person that you and I are trying to beseech to get it is get in and on what it is that we do like we don't live on our own in fact if you don't have a hubspot or a marketo or a salesforce part out or whatever we, we don't have a role to play for you I, mm-hmm. I can't help an organization that doesn't have one of those major systems of record mm-hmm. and and i was on a conversation and i was just chatting about this earlier today but i was in a conversation a week or two ago with a company that's got this really compelling um, video avatar, uh, software, right. And you can feed content into it, train it on your avatar. And it'll look like I'm saying the the words that got plugged in with an API. Now, when you look at at guys like that and you look at their marketing, 
and they know it internally, but none of their marketing says you need all these other things around us for us to do what we do. And here's the thing that we help you do if all this other stuff is true. Now, you and I as marketers know that when we do that, we actually help our buyers know that they are our buyers, right? And then make it really easy to see the opportunity to take advantage of the technology. So I don't know necessarily that everything on that MarTech map from Scott Brinker has to like be decreased by 75% on the logos. But I do think that when you go and you look at a lot of these websites, and you look at these vendors, they're talking about what they do, but I think the context of where they fit into the stack and into somebody's existing workflow, I think it's missing, right? And and, and we're working on it right now. We're working on it right now in order to help tell that story within our own marketing content and on our web pages and, and those types of things. And I think it's incumbent upon us to really make sure that we're not overstepping because we all want to say yes. Sure, I can help you with that problem, but it's not the problem we solve. So stop saying that. Stop talking about that. Stop trying to be that thing. Be the thing that you are in the spot that you fit in and make it abundantly clear how that changes the workflow for the person that you're selling to in the context of the tech stack that they already rely upon, particularly their major system like HubSpot or whatever that might be. Sure. I going back to like the personalization stuff, I think about my first job in uh, software, I was working for an ESP company. And my job was to fill out RFP responses. Now that seems like uh, pretty mundane work, but like it helped me understand product marketing, communication, how to work with salespeople. But the reason why I'm bringing this up is because like one of the questions at that time, which, you know, was a decade plus ago that everyone wanted to know when they were throwing out uh, RFPs was about the personalization that the, your email service offered. And I remember thinking about the time talking about things like dynamic content and just like how, you know, you you'd get your name included in the email and there'd be different things you'd switch out. And I remember at that time that was like, that was innovative and that was, you know, revolutionary. That was like oppo op opposing like, a batch and blast email. And that was a differentiation point, which you, you, you fast forward the tape until today, which is like, you know, over a decade later, when we talk about personalization and brands use personalization, they still think that way is the way when you're like, dude, this is like a decade ago that this was innovative. So like, I don't know. I'd love to hear maybe like why you, I'm sure this is top of mind for you, but just like, how people talk about personalization, like obviously like maybe that can be considered personalization, but that was like, that's like old school. So like, that's a problem. Yeah. I really, I really love this whole subject matter. So, so here's the thing. I oftentimes describe personalization as it's understood today as marketers, marketing, marketing to marketers. Right. So it, <laughs> You know, it's like, how do we box this thing up? How do we talk about this? And a couple of years ago, there was this fascinating study out of Forrester. And it said that the top priority of B2B marketers, it was more likely that a B2B marketer was to say that personalization was their number one priority than any other marketing priority. 
right? More than half of all B2B marketers, and this is, I don't know, a couple of years ago now, said that that was their number one priority. There was a study at the exact same time out of Forrester that said that the marketing strategy that more marketers were disillusioned with than anything else was personalization. So we hit this nadir on personalization in whatever it was, I guess 2021 now, that effectively was about people were trying harder than ever, more conviction than ever, because we saw the 6% to 8% increases in things like pipeline and conversion when we really leaned into personalization. But we weren't talking about it the right way. We weren't calling it the right thing. And as a result, people got exhausted. So when we said personalization, what we were really describing were tools that enabled our marketing organizations to act more like mechanics, mm. right? And you could get in and you could say, this blog post is about topic one and topic two from this very specific topic taxonomy. And I'm going to have more tools to help me create segments. And then at some point, we actually started to get to a place and Einstein was kind of early to this at Salesforce to say, we think that there's a segment of people that looks like this. And if you were to send something out to that segment, we think this piece of content is the right one to send. And that's pretty recent in terms of innovations within the space. But what it was doing was being a little bit more insightful about to your point, exactly what we were doing a decade ago, right? And so it started to address some of the problem around people making decisions mm -hmm. about what should get connected between an audience and a body of content, right? And so that that is more helpful, right? Because humans come in with opinions. And as it turns out, we actually kind of aren't all that great at that a lot of the time. And so removing that part of the opinion process is certainly helpful. And I think it's an evolution to the market. But for whatever reason, and, and it's one of the reasons why I think that we've had so much success so early here at Air Traffic Control is because when we go in and we tell somebody, wait a minute, it isn't we suggest this thing for this group. It's this is the thing for this human. And we're just going to put it right mm -hmm. into play. And everybody goes, oh, my God, that's it. And I still don't understand how it hasn't came to be already. I'm thrilled that it isn't out there because it means that we have this amazing opportunity at air traffic control. But it's it's just sitting there and it just smacks you in the face the moment that you see it. Why have we made all this so complex? Now, it might be because a lot of that really heavy kind of machine learning driven innovation out of these major enterprise players, that their customers are large, complex, risk averse enterprises. And they may be said, I don't want you to automatically activate any of those recommendations. And I don't want it to be done at the person level because I can't review that. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's something their product organization heard when they were going through the development process. These are smart people. They're exceedingly brilliant people. So they had a reason to not ever come down the path that we're on. But I think the market has finally come into that spot of one, being absolutely convinced that personalization is a way to increase connection and revenue. And also that it is too freaking hard. 
And so here we come and right at that moment say, actually, it's easier than anything else that you're doing. And it works even better than anything that you could have invested in. Right. And I think that it's the right message at the right time with the right tool in order to be able to kind of capitalize on that. It isn't to say these big guys haven't been trying. It's just that it's all been about trying to make segment-based marketing better as opposed to really pursuing true personalization at scale at the human level. I love that, man. We've covered a lot of ground in this one. I want to maybe close this out by just hearing from you on your, your, your team is building this product at air traffic control. You've got a good message around, you know, what you're doing, got conviction. Maybe if you could identify like, what is like the one thing right now on your mind that you're doing to fix this big, hairy problem that is uh, injected throughout the whole B2B marketing and SaaS community. And I would say it maybe infected this community in a way that, you know, people are going about their jobs more as robots than maybe as human beings. Like what is the one thing you're focused on in order to fix this uh, problem right now? Yeah, honestly, it's our it's our own product marketing and trying to simplify our message and the speed at which our new onboarded customers can get to that whoa moment is is really, you know, the thing that we're doing. We know our engine works. We know our personalization is increasing email click rates by 50%. We know that our personalization engine is increasing pages per visit by anywhere between 80 and 100%. We know that that works that well right? It is a lot of, frankly, the most informed, sharp, front of edge marketers who are like, yeah, but but then how do I actually use it? And you go, I just showed you in the demo that it works like this. And, and part of the problem that we're facing is that we have solved this like whole archipelago of problems of tagging all the content and creating, you know, deep interest graphs and making recommendations and putting that back into their system of record, right? And making it to where a HubSpot or a Pardot or a Marketo can deliver completely personalized engagement at scale at the human level, right? And it's such a significant shift from how we as marketers have all understood dynamic, you know, content logic and segment-based campaigns and all these types of things. It's such a significant step change, right? This is not an iterative change to, you know, the practice of personalization as it's kind of been understood for all these years. It's it's a pretty significant change and it opens up a lot of minds, but you've got to kind of, in our case, say what we do three or four times before the smartest marketers around the table go, Oh, oh my God. Mm. Oh, okay. And so, you know, I'm really excited about our impact for our current customers, but I'm, what I'm most excited about f- with regards to the B2B ecosystem writ large is the moment in time where we're able to distill that woe moment at scale. And that's really a lot of what we're focused on right now is how do we really bring that, you know, down to people in a way that they can eat it up on their own really fast. I love talking with CEOs, founders who are doing cool stuff to disrupt the space. And that certainly fits into what you're doing at air traffic control. Nick, this has been a blast. Thanks so much. We'll have to do it again. 
Yeah, man, thank you. Whenever I have these conversations, there are always some that stick in my brain and I just cannot stop thinking about. And this was one with Nick. Hopefully you enjoyed this. I think we get personalization twisted at times. I really enjoyed the missing the fundamental point of empathy to radiate the idea and unpacking that and getting Nick's thoughts there. Has this made you think a little bit differently about how you're thinking about personalization? Hopefully it does. That's the whole point of these. We'll be back with more modern day marketer on the other side. Until then, you take care.